We're in week three of our War and Peace series. We're, talk, we're talking about just how, how do we handle conflict in a way that is A, biblical, B, glorifying to God, and C, good for you and me and the relationships that we have. And so we're gonna jump right in tonight. Um, here's how I, w- I would maybe describe tonight's uh, message is, if you guys have ever been to Colorado, skiing or maybe in the wintertime, um, there's a big difference between driving to Colorado across Kansas and driving in the mountains of Colorado when there's snow and ice and uh, whatever, right? Going across Kansas, you're like, cruise control, keep my eyes open, don't wanna get pulled over, let's go. Uh, like there, you don't need to pay attention to anything, you're just looking for the next bathroom and the Starbucks in Colby, right? That's all we're looking for. You guys know what I'm talking about. That's the only Starbucks in Kansas, I think. It's in Colby, Kansas. But when you get there and you get in the mountains, all of a sudden your whole driving persona changes, doesn't it? Like you start white knuckling it down every hill, around every curve, because you don't know what's coming. And depending on the weather, you could slide right off the side of the mountain 3,000 feet down and be bye-bye, right? And so all of a sudden our driving becomes much more observant, much more careful. And tonight, that's kind of, as we get into Matthew 18, when we talk about conflict resolution, that's kind of what we're talking about. Because when we enter into a, what I'm going to start calling a restorative conversation with someone, we don't know how it's going to go. It could go sideways real quick. My hope tonight is to help maybe guide you with some biblical principles that we see that will help keep you on the road no matter what twists and turns come so that walking out of that road, leaving the mountains of conflict, you will be intact, the person you're in conflict with will be intact, and you'll be driving together. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And last week, if you weren't here, uh, we addressed what we need to do before we attempt a restorative conversation. We talked about Jesus' Jesus's words that say, hey, before you get the speck out of their eye, get the log out of your own. And so last week we just simply talked about how do we evaluate ourselves and prepare our mind and our heart to be in a good place to get a good outcome in a biblical way. And so for some of you, last week you're like, oh, this is the easy part, I just gotta deal with me. <laughs> Tonight, is the hard part. Because we start talking about actually having a conversation with someone else about something that isn't right, something that has been an offense to us, they have sinned towards us, they have done something and something's now not right. And so that's what we're gonna talk about tonight and then next week we're gonna flip the script and we're gonna talk about how do you handle it when someone comes to you and they have a conversation about something you've done. So make sure you don't just come this week. Like this is only 50%. Next week we're gonna talk about the other side of the coin, okay? And so tonight we're gonna talk about how, what a restorative conversation means. And it means discerning the small stuff, dealing with the big stuff, and if necessary, widening the circle. And so what I wanna kick off tonight with is just remind us of two weeks ago. That this idea of biblical unity within the family of God is a humongous theme in Scripture. We see it all throughout Scripture. We see it in the Gospels of Jesus Christ, and we see in every single letter of the New Testament. I wanted to share with you a couple verses. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, basically, if you're going into a worship service, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift. Therefore, there, before you go to the altar, first be reconciled to your brother and then come back and worship. Romans 15, Paul writes, may God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. 1 Corinthians 15 says, I appeal to you that there be no division among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Galatians 5, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, all the perfect ingredients for conflict. 1 Thessalonians 5, live in peace with one another, making sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. And then finally, Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so, like I said, we're gonna be talking about this massive theme in scripture of conflict and unity and peace and dissension. Because the cross of Jesus Christ screams unity. Right? The cross represents reconciliation. It represents restoration. And so this is what Jesus is all about. And so as his followers, as Christians, if that's what he's all about, that's what we need to be all about. And so I know tonight, as we walk through the famous Matthew 18 scriptures, and if you're not familiar with Matthew 18, it's kind of the famous text in, in, uh, in Matthew of how do you deal with conflict? What do you do? How do you handle it? And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. We're gonna walk through this and look at three different things. But before we get there, tonight I want you to look before and after Matthew 18. Because sandwiched, Matthew 18 is sandwiched in between two parables. The parable of the lost sheep is right before, and the parable of the unmerciful servant is right after. I find it interesting that Jesus is giving this long sermon, and he brings in the conflict resolution in between a story of reconciliation and forgiveness. I don't think Jesus did that by mistake. Because I don't think Jesus thinks about confrontation or conflict the way you and I naturally think about it. Like if I just bring up the word confrontation, right? Some of us are like, ugh, no thank you. Check please, like, you know, like, we're like no thank you. Because all the, all the things that we feel along with the word confrontation are typically negative, right? It feels aggressive. It feels like this is not going to go well. It seems like somebody's gonna go somewhere that I don't want them to go. And so what I wanna do tonight is I wanna exchange this word instead of, uh, instead of confrontation, because that's what Matthew 18 talks about, I wanna insert the word restoration because that is the goal of Matthew 18, 15, 16, and 17. Don't forget this. The goal is restoration, not confrontation. The goal is not just to go tell someone what they've done wrong or show them their fault. That's not the goal. That's part of the process to getting to the goal of restoration, restoring the relationship. Now, as we get going, I, I want to be very honest and say that, you know what? There are things that, that happen that cause conflict within our lives that are like blatantly sinful, right? Like people do things, say things, you're like, oh, that like, oh my gosh. Right? But there's also things that maybe don't automatically fall into like, hey, they sinned against you. But it still causes conflict. Right? Because let's be honest, like a lot, of the, a lot of the conflict that happens is unintentional. 
They say something, do something, and they have no idea how it has affected you or hurt you. And so I don't, I don't want to get into this, this, this cutting, you know, the fine line between, well, what is sinful and what is not? Tonight what I want to do is use Matthew, the principles in Matthew 18 to cover both situations. When it's obvious that someone has sinned against you, but also in situations where, you know what, I don't know if that was exactly sinful, but man, it still stings and it's a big deal. Does that make sense? So we're gonna use the principles of this text. I wanna do one little caveat and, and, spe- and give you one special consideration. Just I wanna push pause for a second. Because Matthew 18 does talk about going to someone. But I wanna make a special consideration for cases of abuse. Because some of you in this room, looking at the numbers we have here tonight, you are victims of abuse. Emotional, verbal, sexual, physical, some sort of abuse. And for that, God's heart breaks. But what I want to say is what, we need to move that confrontation to the side for the moment. Because most of the time, almost every single time, that's probably not a good idea to have a victim go talk to their abuser without some help, some significant help. And most of the time, it's probably not even their role to do that. Okay? What we're talking about is general relational discord. Does that make sense? All right, let's move on. Matthew 18, 15, 16, and 17. This is what it says. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. My first point tonight is this, a restorative conversation means discerning the small stuff. A restorative conversation means discerning the small stuff. If you notice, the very first word is if your brother sins against you. And this is a little bit of a flashback to last week. Of what, when does it fall into the category of I need to overlook an offense? Right, Proverbs 19, 11, it's to your glory to overlook an offense. Well, I wanna, I wanna bring a little bit of meat to the bones of that idea, all right? Because like we talked about last week, not every offense needs to be this big, huge conversation and this big deal. Right? Every once in a while, you're like, you know what? Okay, I just need to, I, I'm being a little oversensitive, whatever. If you missed that talk, go on the website, listen to it. We're not going to redo that here. But I do want to give you four diagnostic questions that you might be able to ask yourself to figure out, is this, is this small stuff? Is this something I need to overlook? Question number one, is the offense dishonoring to God? Is whatever this person has done given a bad name to God? Number two, Is it seriously damaging to our relationship? Now, that word seriously does leave some gray area, doesn't it? What's serious to you may not be serious to me. Here might be another filter to add to that question. Because you do that or did that or said that, I don't want to be around you. That's damaging to the relationship. Question number three, is it seriously hurting other people? Like it's what they're doing, what they're saying, how they're acting. Is it negatively impacting the people around them? All right, let me give you an example of this. I was around, I worked with a gal one day. It's not Mary Ashton, um, a, a long time ago. 
um, and she kind of prided herself in just keeping it real. What that actually meant was she felt carte blanche to be rude and mean. She's like, I'm just keeping it real. I, just, I don't want to be dishonest. I'm like, yeah, but you're giving the truth without the love. Okay? And so what she was unknowingly doing, or maybe knowingly and not caring, was just destroying people left and right. Because she was being honest and she was being real. And so we had to have a conversation about that because the people around her were being hurt by it. And the fourth question is, is it seriously hurting the offender, him or herself? Is it seriously hurting them? Because let's be honest, a lot of the things that we do are inadvertent. We don't know we're doing them. Like I know one thing for us guys that, that, that uh, always, always clues me into that, that something's going on is when we're having coffee or lunch or there's a group of us having coffee or lunch and uh, some gal walks by and I see somebody's eyes kind of go do the up and down. I'm like, okay, we, that, that's, we need to talk about that. That your reaction is to just look her up and down as she walks away. Because whatever he's engaging in is causing his eyes to go there, which probably tells me he's, he's in, involved in some behavior that's not healthy for him, that's actually hurting him. And so as a brother in Christ, I need to be watching and praying for my brothers, and I hope you all are doing that for me as well. All right, so those are the four questions. Is the offense dishonoring to God? Is it seriously damaging to our relationship? Is it seriously hurting other people? And is it, or is it seriously hurting the offender? Right, we may be doing something that they unknowingly are doing that's hurting their reputation. It's hurting their ability to lead other people. It's hurting their Christian witness because they're doing this thing. Right, they're overly sarcastic. That might be something that as a Christian we need to check and say, is that hurting my ability to lead and love people? Those are situations that we need to ask. And if your answer is yes to any of those four questions, then I wanna encourage you, buckle up, because we need to move into the Matthew 18 procedure and learn some principles. If, if the answer is yes to any of those questions, if you can't overlook an offense, then as a Christian, Jesus in plain text says this is what we do. All right? Number two, a restorative conversation means dealing with the big stuff. A restorative conversation means dealing with the big stuff. In verse 15, it says, if your brother has sinned against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. This is the second step. First step is, can I overlook it? The second step is, no, I can't, so I need to go to them. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, I read it earlier, Jesus says, listen, if you're, if you're in worship and someone has anything against you, go and be reconciled and then come back. We're called to go and reconcile. Now, just a helpful hint, and maybe I've just seen this done poorly over the years. Matthew 18 principles of going to the, the, the person that's offended you, that's hurt you, that's wounded you, is it, do not text that. Terrible, terrible, terrible idea. In fact, just a general idea with texting, if it involves emotion, don't text it. Bad idea. Number two, if at all possible, do not phone call. Go to them. Get coffee, have lunch, whatever. Invite them over. Have a real, adult, mature conversation face-to-face. -face. And please don't subtweet them. 
Like, right? We, all, we know this. That is not biblical. Jesus is saying in plain English, go tell him his fault. Go to him. Go to her. Because here's, and can I just be honest for a second? I got, this is scary, okay? For many of you, this is like, the, you're like, Andy, I, I can't do this. Like, you don't know me. Like, this is terrifying to me. I know. I know it is, especially for the you five and nines on the Enneagram, right? Like, this is, like, you're like, no, 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 no. Any other way, please, right? This is scary. But here, can I, can I offer you this? It's scary because Satan knows that conflict is the one thing that he can get you. If we don't handle it well, it's gonna get you and it's gonna get them. But if we handle it well, God will get the glory and it'll be for your good. And so of course he wants to convince you, you can't do this. You can do this. I have loved, loved this week hearing story after story after story just over the last two weeks of people saying, I need to go talk to somebody. It's awesome just in the last two weeks to watch relationships in this room be reconciled because people were doing this. Because the world does not know this kind of conflict resolution. But I'll promise you this. If you are willing to be obedient and go and tell them their fault, right, after you've checked your heart, right, after you've been prayerful, after all of last week, then you go and talk to them. And here's the crazy thing. Every little doubt and, and fear that comes up will be washed away pretty quickly, in my opinion. Because he, just going to them communicates so much. It communicates, I value and love you. It communicates, I care about our relationship enough to put it on the chopping block. I love you enough not to let you go down that road any farther. Have you ever thought about this idea that actually Matthew 18 principles could be the most loving thing you can do for a friend or a loved one? But conversely is also true. If we are unwilling to go talk to them, that also communicates something. It communicates, I do not value you over my comfort. I don't care about our relationship enough to possibly make it awkward. I will let you go down that road because I, can't, I just can't do it. Like, that's crazy. The most loving thing we could do sometimes is to go to them and say, I love you enough to say this. And that's my, how you lead it, all right? Like those are the very words. I love you enough to say this. The other great part about going to them is we actually take part in the ministry that God has given us. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul writes to the church, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Guys, there's nothing better than knowing you're walking in obedience to God's word. 
that when we go face to face with someone, humbly and gently, you are walking in obedience to the ministry that God has handed you through Jesus Christ. The next thing Jesus says is go to them, just the two of you, alone, in private. Why does he do this? It's an honoring gesture. No one feels honored or cared for or loved by being confronted in front of everybody, right? Some of us know that. Like I remember in high school, sports, my coaches would do this all the time, never to me, but to my teammates, right? They would call us out for missing a play, missing a block, missing a pass, right? And you'd be like, oh gosh, you know, you're just like, oh, don't watch film today, please. You know, like you don't want to be shown out. And so Jesus says, go to them just between the two of you because it honors the other person. The person that has hurt us, has offended us, has sinned against us, we honor them because Christ has honored us. And so we pull them aside and we restore them gently. First, Peter, or First Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 5.1 says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are mature should re- restore him gently. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You see, we're to honor one another as we go to one another to say, I love you enough to show you this. I love you enough to say, hey, the way you handle that over and over is hurting your witness. The way that you said that crushed me. And I don't know if, if we, and I don't wanna be around you, and so I wanna come talk to you about that. Did you mean what you said? Right, like if we can't let it go, we need to enter into a conversation gently and with patience and careful instruction. The last part of that verse is my favorite. It says, if he listens to you, right? If you go show him his fault between you and him alone, and if he listens, and that the Greek word listen there means if he considers it and hears it. Because let's be honest, there are situations where they're not, gonna, they're not gonna listen. We'll talk about that in another week. All right, but that, that's possible. Not every person is going to hear you. But it says, if they listen to you, you have gained a brother. Reconciliation. You're not just friends, you've gained a brother, a sister, because you have walked through the fire of conflict and come out stronger than when you went in. You see, both people involved had the same opportunity to glorify God, serve one another, and grow in our Christ-likeness. Like, if you think about, uh, I was about to say confrontation, when I mean restoration, right? to have a restorative conversation with someone, you are opening yourself up to actually be like Christ. Because he left heaven to come to earth. He came to us, right? He came to us. We didn't go to him. He came to us gently and patiently and with mercy and with grace. That's how he came to us. And so as believers... As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to do the same because we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. So when we go to our friend, we go to our brother in Christ, we go to our sister in Christ with great patience and grace and mercy.
80%, this is not a scientific fact, but my life experience would say about 80% of your conflict will be finished right here. It's gonna go awesome and you're gonna be like, man, thank you for coming. I had no idea. Did not mean that. Will you please forgive me? And you're gonna walk out of there like, I'll bet 80% of the conflict that we're dealing with will end and be finished and reconciled right here. But there's 20 more percent. There's 20 more percent, and that's my last point, is the restorative conversation means, if necessary, widening the circle. All right, widening the circle. Jesus says, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now let me pause for a second. At this step, right, this is the next step. This is, like we're escalating, right? We already went to them, it was terrifying, it did not turn out the way I wanted, they either argued it, they avoided it, or just said, no, it's not happening. We're not told to say, well, good try, well done. No, we're, 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 we're told to continue trying to reconcile and restore the relationship. But what we do is we bring a couple other people along with us. We widen the circle. Now, I would offer this. Before you escalate it, prayerfully consider whether that's necessary. Prayerfully consider whether it's necessary because when you escalate, everything escalates. Emotions, feelings, responses, reactions, everything escalates. So here's what we do. When we're grabbing somebody else, you need to bring and pick and prayerfully pick an impartial, mature, and mutually trusted person. You do not bring your best friend who will live and die for you no matter what you say. That's not who you bring to the fight, right? Because then that other person's gonna feel ganged up on. They're like, okay, and then it's done before it even starts. Because they know, oh, that's their best friend. Of course they're gonna agree with you. No, you bring in someone who is impartial, who you both agree and respect as a mature Christian to say, hey, come in. Here's the cool thing is again, it's a, it's a step of honor the other person. This is for their protection as yours. You bring in somebody impartial who doesn't know what's going on and you both lay out what's happening, it gives a fair shake to both parties. And so as you talk and think and pray and you say, who should I bring? Maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's a small group leader, maybe it's a, a, a friend that you know that doesn't know what's happening in this situation. We need to widen the circle because we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I will tell you this. They may not want to meet again, right? They'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. Okay. Romans 12 tells us, as far as it is, depends on you, live at peace with everybody. You do what you can do. You pray for them. You be patient with them. And then they're 50% of the problem right? Don't force it on them like, we have to do this. Like, no, don't like, if they don't want to be a part of reconciliation, that's on them. You do as far as it depends on you to live at peace with everyone. And then step four, I'm not going to spend much time on this because this is literally like 1% of conflict. The next thing he says is, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. 
That sounds harsh, but you know what? This is like 1% of conflict gets to this place. Like 1%. Very little. And I know what y'all think is like, well, what does this mean, Andy, that like at church they're going to get up on the stage and be like, all right, this is what Andy did. No. What we're talking about is the, is, is, is the church authority. So this might be a pastor, right? You say, hey, we need to bring in a pastor into this situation. Like you bring in the church and the church's authority over the sheep, over the flock, over the, the family of God and say, hey, this, this, this is big. Like this happens uh, not often, but it's happened to me where somebody like, they have a conflict and they come straight to me like, hey, Andy, this happened in a small group. I'm like, no, dude, we're not gonna escalate to DEFCON 4 because someone like, said something in a small group. Like, you need to go to them. Be, I will always tell you that. Have you spoken to them yet? And almost 100% of the time, I was like, no, I haven't. I was hoping you would do that. <laughs> nope. I don't want to rob you of an opportunity to honor and serve and grow in your faith. Like, we got to grow up and say, all right, I'm going to be obedient to what Christ instructs me in plain, simple NIV English. And when it says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, sounds pretty harsh. It sounds like, you know, maybe the, the word excommunication. I don't, I don't know if that's what it means, because how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He said, hey, I want to come to your house, Zacchaeus. I want to hang out with you. Like, he loved them, and he cared for them. But you know what? What, what, what Jesus is saying is, like, don't treat them as part of the family anymore. Don't treat them as if their goal is our goal. Don't treat them like, don't do that. Like they're, they're, they've made their way very plain. They want their way. And what's Jesus' heart for the tax collector and the Gentile? Reconciliation. We don't cast them off and say, well, good knowing you. No, we say, okay. I'm gonna love you anyway. I'm still gonna invite you. Still, we're still gonna hang out but we don't treat them and we don't, we don't look at them as a brother and sister in Christ because they've, cho they've chosen to go the other way. They've been given three opportunities to repent. And say, so, okay, they're making their way very plain, okay. But we treat them the way Jesus treated tax collectors and sinners and we say we love them and we care for them and our goal for them is still reconciliation. First with Jesus and then with us. So here's where we've been. A restorative conversation means having to discern the small stuff, deal with the big stuff, and don't stop, or uh, if necessary, widen the circle. That's how we do this. Now, I wanna get into like the really deep weeds. You're gonna have to write fast or take a picture of the screens. I'm gonna give you 10 things on the way out of here. 10 things that when you are dealing with this, that you can go to and say, okay, have I done this? Have I done this? Have I done this? To prepare your heart, to get ready, to enter in, not to confrontation, but into a restorative conversation. All right, I'm assuming that you listened to last week and you've done all those things. You've, you've done some self-evaluation. You have apologized for your part of whatever conflict it is. Here we go. Number one. And this is just wisdom, from Pro mostly all from Proverbs. I'm not gonna read every text, but I want you to read them up. They're gonna be on the screen, but they're not gonna be spelled out for you. Number one, seek and pray for humility and wisdom. First Peter 5.5. 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Number two, plan your words carefully. Proverbs 15.1 and 2. 
It says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Love Proverbs. Never knew the word belch was in the scriptures until this series. Number three, anticipate likely reactions and plan appropriate responses. Like this is where you get a friend and you practice the conversation. You tell them, all right, I want you to be um, uncooperative here, right? You say what you're gonna say and then you, you figure out like, okay, I know them a little bit, they might respond this way and you prepare for it. Proverbs 20, 18 says, plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. So we anticipate likely reactions and plan appropriate responses because what you do not want to do is react to their reaction. Because our reactions guaranteed will come from our fears, our insecurities, and our ego. That's where they will come from. So we, do, we cannot afford to react, we need to respond. And we can only respond if we prepare ahead of time, like, all right, they say this, I'm gonna say this. If they have this attitude, this is what I'm gonna do. We prep. Like this is a relationship you care enough about to have the conversation. Let's prepare for it. Number four, choose the right time and place. Proverbs 16, 21. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The fool goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Like this is another opportunity for you to honor the other person. If you know their schedule, like don't, don't have this conversation 15 minutes after they get off work. Like we don't know what kind of day they've had. Maybe they're exhausted and it ain't gonna go well, right? Pick a time and a place that honors them and sets the whole conversation up for success. All right? Number five, be clear, accurate, and thorough. 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not a God of confusion, but peace. When we're bringing out a fault of a brother or a sister, don't be hyperbolistic. You always do this. You never do that. Like that's, you're killing your own argument because no one always does anything or never, never does anything. Be clear. Say, this is what happened. Be accurate to what was said or not said. And then be thorough. Leave it all on the table. I'm not saying bring your whole list of wrongs. Pick one and say, hey, this is what it is. This, this is the one. And be thorough with it. Number six. Assume the best about the other person until you have the facts to prove otherwise. Assume the best. Because like I said before, most conflict is unintended. Most hurt feelings are not intended. Like, I can't tell you how many times someone has come to me and I was like, I did not mean that. Like, you, you, no, 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 how you heard that is not what I meant. And then it's over, quick, boom, done, 80%. We're off. Don't assume until we know. Proverbs 18, 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Let's hear both sides of the story before we assume any malintent. Number seven, listen carefully. Proverbs 18, 13, this, this one cuts to my heart because I'm a talker. 
says spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. We have to be good listeners. Hear what they have to say. Maybe there's a good reason why they did what they did or said what they said that we need to hear. And maybe all of a sudden the conversation turns into a, whoop, oh, I offended you. That's why you, oh, I'm so, you know, like, I'm so sorry. That was wrong of me to do that. Will you please forgive me? Number eight, speak only to build others up. Speak only to build others up. Ephesians 4, 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Like, make sure that we're speaking in a tone of voice and the words that are coming out is going to build them up, not tear them down. Another way to look at it is like, make sure we don't use language and verbiage that cast shame and condemnation. I can't believe you're the kind of person that would do that to me. Shame, 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 condemn, condemn, condemn. We gotta guard our words, okay? Guard our words. Number nine, ask for feedback from the other person. Proverbs 18.2. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only wanna air their own opinions. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. And then lastly, number 10, trust God with the outcome. Psalm 37, three, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Because guys, I'm gonna be honest with you for a second. Like there's, yeah, take a picture. That's all 10 of them. There, there, there's, a, there's a decent chance Okay, like if you're like me, like I'm a six on the Enneagram, so I'm always thinking like worst case scenario, like how could this go bad? I'm always preparing for that. There's a chance this doesn't go well. There's a chance this doesn't go well, but guess what? When Jesus came here to die on the cross, there was a chance it wasn't gonna go well and people were gonna reject him and we have. But he still came. He still pursued us even at the chance that it could be the end of the relationship. But you know what? I would rather do the right thing, walk in biblical obedience, and see the relationship either flourish or disappear than not walking in obedience and watching it disappear. Because that's what will happen almost every single time because we're gonna lead with our own emotions and our own insecurities and our own fears. So trust God with the outcome. So what? That's what I usually end with is that question, so what? Go and do it. That's the so what. Go and do it. Maybe for the first time ever, handle conflict, not as confrontation, but as restoration. Love your friend, your roommate, your coworker, your brother, and your sister, your fellow believer. Love them the way Christ loved you. And go to them humbly and gently and say, I love you enough to tell you this. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me. I love you enough to go hang on the cross and take your sin upon myself. And then I'm gonna spend three days cutting off the head of the enemy 
and I'm gonna walk out with death in my hand and it will be considered to you righteousness. We are called to the ministry of reconciliation. We reconcile because he has reconciled us through Christ. So as we go into our 120 seconds and we just sit here and pray, and Caleb plays a sweet pad, I want you to pray about whatever conflict is in your head right now. That God would start to change your heart towards that person. That you would view the situation the way that God views you. And for the courage to step into it and say, God, use me to serve and honor and love my brother or my sister. And start praying for that person. Not praying that they be wrong, but praying for restoration and reconciliation. Let me pray. God, thank you for your example on the cross. God, that you came to us to show us our fault. Because let's be honest, God, the cross is, is, is our confrontation every day. Every time we sing a song about your grace, every time we open the Bible, every time we get together in Christian fellowship, God, we are reminded of the cross of Christ which condemns us, that says you need a savior. Yet there is an empty tomb that says that savior has come and reconciled us and restored us to a right relationship with God. God, help us to do that with one another and help us to be a light in this world that would bring people to Jesus because you have reconciled us to yourself. In your son's name, amen.